Volume One, Chapter Twenty of Gwen Wynn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Gwen Wynn, A Romance of the Why by Main Reed. Chapter Twenty Under the Elm. In more ways than one has Jack Wingate thrown dust in his mother's eyes. His going to the ferry after a piece of whipcord and a bit of pitch was fib the first. The second, he's not going there at all, for he has not. Instead, in the very opposite direction, soon as reaching the road, having turned his face towards Abergann, though his objective point is but the big elm. Once outside the gate, he glides along the holly hedge crouchingly, and with head ducked so that it may not be seen by the good dame who has followed him to the door. The darkness favouring him it is not, and congratulating himself at getting off thus deftly, he continues rapidly up the road. Arrived at the stile, he makes stop, saying in soliloquy, I take it she be sure to come, but I give something to know which of the two ways, being so darkish and that plank a bit dangerous to cross, I ha' heard, taint often I cross it, just possible she may choose the roundabout of the road. Still, she saved the big elm, and to get there she'll have to take the path coming or going back. If I thought coming, I'd steer straight there and meet her. But supposing she prefers the road, that'd make it longer to wait. Wonder which it's to be. With hand rested on the top rail of the stile, he stands considering. Since their stolen interchange of speech at the harvest home, Mary has managed to send him word she will make an errand to Rugg's Ferry. Hence is uncertainty. Soon again he resumes his conjectured soliloquy. Tain't possible she had been to the ferry and gone back again. God help me, I hope not. And yet there's just a chance. I wish the captain hadn't kept me so long down there, and the fresh from the rain that delayed us nigh half an hour, I oughtn't to have stayed a minute after getting home. But mother cooking that nice bit of steak. If I hadn't ate it, she'd be angry, and for certain suspected something then listening to all that dismal stuff about the corpse candle, and they believe it in the Shire of Pembroke, rot the thing, though I ain't myself now always superstitious, it give me the creeps. Queer her dreamin' she seed it go out of Abergann. I do wish she hadn't told me that, and I mustn't say a word of it to Mary. Though she ain't of the fearsome kind, a thing like that's enough to frighten anyone. Well, what do I best do? If she had been to the ferry and goed home again, then I've missed her and no mistake. Still, she said she'd be at the Elm, and never broke her promise to me when she could keep it. A man ought to take a woman at her word, a true woman, and not be too quick to anticipate. Besides, the surer way's the safer. She appointed the old place, and there I'll abide her. But what am I thinking of? She may be there now, awaiting for me. He doesn't stay by the stile one instant longer, but vaulting over it strikes off along the path. Despite the obscurity of the night, the narrowness of the track and the branches obstructing, he proceeds with celerity. With that part he is familiar, knows every inch of it, well as the way from his door to the place where he docks his boat, at least so far as the big elm, under whose spreading branches he and she have oft clandestinely met. It is an ancient patriarch of the forest. Its timber is honeycombed with decay, not having tempted the axe by whose strike its fellows have long ago fallen and it now stands amid their progeny, towering over all. It is a very few paces distant from the footpath, screened from it by a thicket of hollies interposed between and extending around. From its huge hollow trunk a buttress, horizontally projected, affords a convenient seat for two, making it the very beau ideal of a trysting tree. 
having got up and under it jack wingate is a little disappointed almost vexed at not finding his sweetheart there he calls her name in the hope she may be among the hollies at first cautiously and in a low voice then louder no reply she has either not been or has and is gone as the latter appears probable enough he once more blames captain ryecroft the rain the river flood the beefsteak above all that long yarn about the canwell corf muttering anathemas against the ghostly superstition still she may come yet it may be but the darkness that's delaying her besides she is not likely to have the fixing of her time she said she would find a way and having the will as he believes he flatters himself she will find it despite all obstructions with confidence thus restored he ceases to pace about impatiently as he has been doing ever since his arrival at the tree and taking a seat on the buttress sits listening with all ears his eyes are of little use in the cimmerian gloom he can barely make out the forms of the holly bushes though they are almost within reach of his hand but his ears are reliable sharpened by love and ere long they convey a sound to him sweeter than any other ever heard in that wood even the songs of its birds it is a swishing as of leaves softly brushed by the skirts of a woman's dress which it is he needs no telling who comes a subtle electricity seeming to proceed warns him of mary morgan's presence as though she were already by his side all doubts and conjectures at an end he starts to his feet and steps out to meet her soon as on the path he sees a cloaked figure drawing nigh with a grace of movement distinguishable even in the dim glimmering light that you mary a question mechanical no answer expected or waited for before any could be given she is in his arms her lips hindered from words by a shower of kisses thus having saluted he takes her hand and leads her among the hollies not from precaution or fear of being intruded upon few besides the farm people of abergann use the right-of-way path and unlikely any of them being on it at that hour it is only from habit they retire to the more secluded spot under the elm hallowed to them by many a sweet remembrance they sit down side by side and close for his arm is around her waist how unlike the lovers in the painted pavilion at langoran here there is neither concealment of thought nor restraint of speech no time given to circumlocution none wasted in silence there is none to spare as she has told him at the moment of meeting it's kind of you coming mary he says as soon as they are seated i knew you would oh jack what a work i had to get out the trick i've played mother you'll laugh when you hear it let's hear it darling she relates a catastrophe of the cupboard at which he does laugh beyond measure and with a sense of gratification six shillings thrown away spilled upon the floor and all for him where is the man who would not feel flattered gratified to be the shrine of such sacrifice and from such a worshipper you've been to the ferry then you see she says holding up the bottle i wish i'd known that i could have met you on the road and we'd had more time to be together it's too bad you haven't to go straight back it is but there's no help for it father roger will be there before this and mother mad impatient were in light she would see his brow darken at mention of the priest's name she does not nor does he give expression to the thoughts it has called up in his heart he curses the jesuit often has with his tongue but not now he is too delicate to outrage her religious susceptibilities still he cannot be altogether silent on a theme so much concerning both mary dear he rejoins in grave serious tone i don't want to say a word against father roger seeing how much he be your mother's friend or to speak more truthful her favourite for i don't believe he's the friend of anybody 
certainly not mine nor yours and i've got it on my mind that man will some day make mischief between us how can he jack ah how a many ways one he's saying ugly things about me to your mother telling her tales that ain't true let him as many as he likes you don't suppose i'll believe them no i don't darling deed i don't a snatched kiss affirms the sincerity of his words hers as well in her lips not being drawn back but meeting him halfway for a short time there is silence with that sweet exchange thrilling their hearts it is natural he is the first to resume speech and from a thought the kiss has suggested i know there be a good many who'd give their lives to get the like of that from your lips mary a soft word or only a smile i've heard talk of several but one spoke of in particular as being special favoured by your mother and backed up by the french priest who she has an idea who indeed knows and the question is only asked to give opportunity of denial i dislike mentioning his name to me it seems like insulting ye the very idea of dick dempsey you needn't say any more she exclaims interrupting him i know what you mean but you surely don't suppose i could think of him as a sweetheart that would insult me i hope it would pleased to hear you say it for all he thinks of you mary not only in the way of sweetheart but he hesitates what i won't say the word tain't fit to be spoke about him and you if you mean wife as i suppose you do listen rather than have richard dempsey for a husband i'd die go down to the river and drown myself that horrid wretch i hate him i'm glad to hear you talk that way right glad but why jack you know it couldn't be otherwise you should after all that's past heaven be my witness you i love and you alone you only ever shall call me wife if not then nobody god bless ye he exclaims in answer to her impassioned speech god bless you darling in the fervour of his gratitude flinging his arms around drawing her to his bosom and showering upon her lips an avalanche of kisses with thoughts absorbed in the delirium of love their souls for a time surrendered to it they hear not a rustling among the late fallen leaves or if hearing supposed it to proceed from bird or beast the flight of an owl with wings touching the twigs or a fox quartering the cover in search of prey still less do they see a form skulking among the hollies black and boding as their shadows yet such there is the figure of a man but with face more like that of demon for it is he whose name has just been upon their lips he has overheard all they have said every word an added torture every phrase sending hell to his heart and now with jealousy in its last dire throw every remnant of hope extinguished cruelly crushed out he stands after all unresolved how to act trembling too for he is at bottom a coward he might rush at them and kill both cut them to pieces with the knife he is holding in his hand but if only one and that her what of himself he has an instinctive fear of jack wingate who has more than once taught him a subduing lesson that experience stands the young waterman instead now in all likelihood saving his life for at this moment the moon rising flings a faint light through the branches of the trees and like some ravenous nocturnal prowler that dreads the light of day richard dempsey pushes his knife-blade back into its sheath slips out from among the hollies and altogether away from the spot but not to go back to rugg's ferry nor to his own home well for mary morgan if he had by the same glimpse of silvery light warned as to the time she knows she must needs hasten away as her lover that he can no longer detain her the farewell kiss so sweet yet painful but makes their parting more difficult 
and not till after repeating it over and over do they tear themselves asunder he standing to look after she moving off along the woodland path as nymph or sylph-eyed with no suspicion that a satire has preceded her and is waiting not far off with foul fell intent no less than the taking of her life end of chapter twenty end of volume one